With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to another episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, and joining me once again this week is fellow Pennsburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you? I'm good, Garrett. Uh, thanks for having me back again. I uh, guess this is going to be a full-time adventure, and I had fun last week, so let's do it again. Glad you had fun last week. Glad to have you along for the ride into the future as well. Robbie, like we did last week, we will start off with a little bit of a recap segment. Not a lot of games to recap, given a a little bit of a a shorter time span between this episode and last episode coming out, but a couple of games to talk about nonetheless. We'll start with the March 27th game against the New York Islanders, a game in which the Pittsburgh Penguins would win by a score of 6-3. Robbie, you had the the opportunity to recap this game on Pennsburg, I believe. I did. uh, I was listening to this game on the radio while I was at work, and uh, really, I couldn't believe what I was listening to. The Penguins explode for five straight goals to get out to a 5 nothing lead. We'll go individually here. Frederick Gaudreau, that's a name you'll be hearing quite a few times, I'm sure, throughout this episode of the podcast. He gets the scoring going for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They hop out to a one nothing lead at the 548 mark of the first period, assists by Sam Lafferty and Colton Sevior. Evan Rodriguez makes it a 2 nothing lead for the Penguins at the midway point of the first period, the 10-07th mark, Rodriguez's fourth goal of the season. Uh, that would wrap up the scoring for the first period of play. Heading into the second period now where things get really crazy, Sidney Crosby on the power play at the 426 mark of the second period gets his 14th goal of the season, assists by Jake Gensel and Chris Letang. Brian Rust, the team's current leading goal scorer, gets his 12th goal of the season at this point, also on the power play. Pittsburgh storms out to a 4-0 lead. Brian Rust follows it up with another goal, his 13th of the season at the 821 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh out to 5-0 lead. And unfortunately, the Islanders would crack into it and break the shutout here. Matthew Barzell gets the Isles on the score sheet. He makes it a 5-1 game at the midway point of the second period. Into the third period now, Anthony Beauvillier, his sixth goal of the season. Uh, the Islanders look like they may be starting to claw back a little bit. It's 5-2 to two, Pittsburgh 
still holding on to a three-goal lead. Jordan Eberle at the 17-33 mark of the third period makes it a two-goal deficit for the Islanders. Pittsburgh still leads by a score of 5-3, to three, but Brian Rust secures the hat trick with the empty net goal at the 19-18 mark of the third period. Pittsburgh wins by a score of 6-3. to three. Everyone take a deep breath. Robbie, you, uh, like I mentioned, had the chance to recap this game for Pennsburg. Uh, watching this game, perhaps a bit more closely than previous games, what were some of your thoughts uh, about this rather crazy performance against a typically uh, a typically very stout, very, very, uh, I guess you could say boring New York Islanders team? It was crazy. Games like that can be tough to recap because everything happened so quickly. But really... I don't think anybody expected that performance because, again, like you said, the Islanders are stout defensively. That's the system. They are, for lack of a better term, boring to play against. But the Penguins, they cracked the code early with Goudreau and Rodriguez on the first period. And then that onslaught there in the second uh, with Crosby and then Russ scoring twice to finally uh, chase the starter, uh, Ilya Sorokin, and bring in Semyon Varlamov. Uh, and then Varlamov giving up. Uh, his first a goal on the first or second shot he faced. I can't m- remember exactly, but it's a big win. I thought out of that series, they had to split the two. I would have felt great if they just would have split the two. Uh, so getting that first one out of the way was a big key. And again, we said it in last week's podcast, any points they're getting while all these guys are out injured is a, is a positive. So uh, getting out, getting out to that big lead. Yeah, they did show some, it wasn't the cleanest, uh, end of that game that you would like. Uh, they did let the Islanders back into it, did take some maybe unnecessary penalties, but in the end, shut the door, two points, and it, just, it was a very good performance. You had scoring from the top lines and the depth. The defense was good. Even though the Islanders did score three times, for the most part, any chances the Islanders were getting were from the outside, nothing dangerous, nothing worrisome. So it was just all around a very, very quality performance. Very quality performance indeed. Moving on to their next contest, another game against the New York Islanders, this time on March 29th. A game, another game in which the Penguins would win as they wrap up their season series against the Islanders here. They win this contest by a score of 2-1, to one, and both of Pittsburgh's goals coming in the first period of play. Anthony Angelo gets the scoring here on the power play, which is uh, quite, quite, quite the thing to say. Anthony Angelo on the power play at the 424 mark of the first period. Pittsburgh out to a one nothing lead. Jared McCann, and we will bring him up momentarily as well, McCann gets his eighth goal of the season at the 18-28 mark of the first period. What a hot streak Jared McCann is on at this time. Uh, Pittsburgh out to a 2 nothing lead. The only other goal coming from Matt Martin at the 9-22 mark of the second period gives the Islanders uh, the, the Islanders trail 2-1. to one. After that goal, no other goal is scored. And I remember seeing on Twitter, either it was on Twitter or it was reading uh, the recap, somebody said that uh, the, the Penguins out-Islandered the Islanders in this game playing a, a bit of a more uh, slower, I guess you could call it slower, methodical, however you want to describe it. Uh, quite the contrast it is from the previous game where they score six goals, and in this contest, Robbie, they only need two goals to win a very close contest. It's great that they get the two points on the score sheet. Uh, I think this game is certainly going to be remembered for 
the conundrum in in the crease, I guess you could call it. Uh, Tristan Jari was the starter. He was uh, penciled in as the starter for this game. He made uh, uh, he completed the the entire first period as well, making five saves on five shots. And he exits after the first period of play. Casey DeSmith comes in cold, makes 19 saves on 20 shots. Uh, in in what was a tremendous uh, tremendous performance by Casey DeSmith coming in cold and being able to maintain that one goal lead for as long as he did. Robbie Pittsburgh gets the win here to close out the season series against the New York Islanders. Uh, based on everything that I just described, what are your thoughts on how the Penguins played in their final regular season game against the New York Islanders? It shows that they can beat the Islanders one way or another. And that's a positive sign because right now there's a very good chance that these two teams are going to meet in the playoffs. Uh, right now, if the season ended, they'd be the 2-3 matchup in the Eastern Division. It would be a slugfest of a series, but it shows you that the Penguins don't necessarily need to go out there and score uh, six goals against a defensive-minded team. They can score two goals and play defense themselves. Uh, the Jari injury, which we'll get to a little bit later more in depth, uh, it was obviously worrisome, especially with how he's been playing. But Casey Smith comes in. The only goal he gives up is a power play goal. Nothing he can really do about. But other than that, shut the door uh, and help them get out of there with another sweep. And really 6-2 and two against the Islanders on the season. I know a couple of those were overtime wins early. But that's got to be positive. It's got to, if they would meet in the playoffs, uh, even though the regular season doesn't mean really much then, it's got to be something that's going to be on their minds. Like, hey, we beat this team. We know we can beat this team. We can beat them more ways than one. Uh, so it should give them confidence when they, uh, when or if they meet uh, here in a couple weeks in the playoffs. And the the Penguins certainly uh, are riding high on that confidence, like you mentioned. I think that they're the winners of uh, their last four contests here as they move forward with a two-game set in Boston against the Boston Bruins. And... Uh, Robbie, let's take a little bit of time here to preview this matchup here. I know uh, the Bruins, as uh, things currently stand, are fourth in the Eastern Division with uh, 41 points, but only 32 games played. Their last 10 games, they're 5-3-2, and two, so a little bit of a mixed bag, whereas the Penguins are 7-2-1 and one in their last 10 games, certainly on a hot streak. The Penguins have played 36 games, whereas I mentioned the Bruins play have only played 32 games, so there is ground to make up if you're the Boston Bruins, which is why I don't know, Robbie, if you'd consider these games crucial, but uh, certainly if the Penguins can go into Boston where things have not gone so smoothly for them for the last oh, however many years, five to six years, it seems like they always have trouble going up to Boston and getting a win. But with the Bruins playing fewer games than the Penguins have to this point and the Bruins able to recapture some of that ground in the Eastern Division, Robbie, what are your thoughts when looking at these next two games? You have to think that if, if the Penguins can at least get a split uh, let alone maybe even they take both of these games against the Bruins. That would be incredible and, and adding even more momentum as as we inch closer to the trade deadline and as we obviously inch closer to the end of the regular season. Yeah, so when you look at the standings, you might be a little surprised that Boston is supposed to be this great team and they're in fourth. Well, you had to take an, they had a COVID shutdown. They missed some games. Uh, so they only have 32 games played, where the Penguins have 36. So really, if just saying that Boston wins those four games at hand and they would leapfrog the Penguins in the standings. But I think I'm going to say kind of the same thing I said about the Islanders, go in there and get a split. You split with them last time. Boston is a been a house of horrors for the Penguins in recent years. Like you said, uh, 
So if they can go in and get a split, if they come out of there, again, Boston would still have four games at hand, but you'll still be seven points up. That really puts the pressure on Boston uh, to make up every inch of ground that is available to them. Whereas if you lose both those games, you drop four points, all of a sudden Boston's sitting at 45, you're sitting at 48 with those four games in hand still over you. So if you split them, it's a completely different ball game then uh, going forward. And you're really putting the pressure on Boston to rack up as many points as they can where wins are so important to them. But Boston, again, does not give up any goals. They've actually given up less goals, albeit in less games than the Islanders this year. They are stingy there. But they do score less. They don't have the offense, uh, the depth offense at least. You have Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand, Krejci. You have they they have offense, but they're not. The depth scoring just hasn't been there. And again, Tuka Rask has always been a menace for the Penguins. Uh, um, Yara Halak can menace the Penguins. And the last time they played, they had a guy starting his first NHL game and pretty much shut down the Penguins in that game. So it seems like Boston, no matter where it's being played who's in goal, who's on the ice. They always seem to cause issues for the Penguins. So going in there, grabbing two, uh, two points out of that two-game set, I, it's that's a, that's a positive to walk away from that series. And, Robbie, you mentioned no matter, it seems like no matter who's on the ice or who's in net for Boston, it, it seems like uh, everything, uh, you know, it just turns into a little bit of a whirlwind or however you want to describe it. Obviously, we both nailing home the point that the Penguins certainly haven't found success against the Bruins. And that leads me to my next question for you is who will be in net for the Penguins and who will be on the ice for the Penguins? Uh, circling back to the Tristan Jari injury, we do have some sort of an update, albeit a brief update, on the status of Tristan Jari after leaving that game against the Islanders with what was described as an upper body injury. Uh, Coach Mike Sullivan says that Tristan is day-to-day with this upper body injury and did not skate today, today being March 31st. Uh, other positive practice notes being Brandon Tana practiced in full. Teddy Bluger practiced in a non-contact fashion. Also skated with the taxi squad. Uh, defenseman Mark Friedman skated with the taxi squad. And Casper uh, Kapanen and Evgeny Malkin are rehabbing off the ice. So uh, while we don't know exactly what the what the concrete status of Tristan Jari is moving forward, uh, Robbie, in the short term, at the very least, you have to be somewhat comfortable, if not confident, heading into Boston, riding on the back of Casey DeSmith, given the performances that he's given the Penguins over the last however many games he's either started or come in as uh, as relief in the case of what happened in the game against the Islanders. Yeah, absolutely. And Casey DeSmith's, uh, the confident feeling in that goes all the way back even to not last season, he didn't play last season, but the year before him when he was the backup, the main backup to Matt Murray, that he can step in and he can get you wins. And that is what you need in a backup, especially in a year like this where the games mean just a little bit more because of the uh, shortened schedule. All these points matter, especially against a team like Boston. Just go in there. I'll reiterate my two points out of these next two games is a win for the Penguins, I think. And But, yeah, I feel absolutely confident with uh, – Casey DeSmith in there. I think he he definitely doesn't fear any team. He doesn't fear Boston, whether it's Boston or Buffalo, the Flyers, Rangers. He's not going to be afraid of anyone. He has the experience. And as for the other guys, anytime that these guys are on the ice is a positive sign at this point. 
Uh, with Trish and Jari, the day-to-day status is much, much better to hear than a week-to-week like we've heard for some of these guys. But seeing guys like Bluger, Tanev now in the in the uh, contact jersey, Bluger with the main team, but even if, even in a non-contact jersey, skating with the taxi squad, just anytime these guys are on the ice, they're one step closer to returning return to the lineup and making this team uh, really as good as we think it can be. So this leads into my next question for you, Robbie, and this is part of the main thing that we'll discuss on this episode of the podcast is the importance of the return of Jason Zucker, who returned. Uh, he was activated off injured reserve, and he missed a little over one month after suffering that really gruesome leg or lower body injury. Uh, really, Robbie, in my opinion, at least, uh, I'm no medical professional, but uh, seeing the way Zucker went down a little over one month ago and uh, hearing what uh, Mike Sullivan said afterwards, saying that uh, he was hopeful to get Jason Zucker back before the end of the regular season. Fast forward month, one month, he's off of injured reserve. He's back into the lineup, back into the top six on that second line. And uh, you kind of alluded to it uh, in the point that you were making there, getting all of these guys back and more importantly, singularly focusing on Jason Zucker's return. Robbie, how think how, how big do you think it is having Jason Zucker come back into that top six and maybe kind of alleviating some of that pressure off of all of the other forwards that the Penguins have had to pick up and basically put into that lineup, knowing that they have a lack of depth because of all of these injuries. How important do you think Jason Zucker's return is to stabilize the top six and stabilize this team moving forward as they look to get all of these bodies back towards the end of the regular season? Zucker is incredibly crucial to what the Penguins uh, want to do. He can forecheck, he can score, he is he can play both ends of the ice. So having him in there is absolutely crucial. And again, anything that can not, nothing against the guys that are playing in the top six to fill in spots, but anytime you can push those guys into a more comfortable role uh, down the lineup and replace them with a guy like Zucker, it's going to be a positive. So far, that I mean, you have the first line, Crosby, Gensel, Rust, but the more pieces you can get back on that second line, the better this team's going to be. So anybody that comes back, especially a guy like Zucker, who is a proven scorer, there's a reason the Penguins gave up all that to get him. He is such an important part of what they want to do. He works well with Malkin, so here's to hoping we can see Gino back in the lineup to go along with Zucker here in a couple weeks. But Zucker, he's been out for, I can't even remember how long at this point. He's one of those, I mean, I forgot he was even on the team for a while. But having him back, he's a guy that can just, he has a nose for the net. He plays hard, and he's just a really good player and a really important part to what they want to do. So getting a guy like him back is just absolutely crucial. And the earlier they get him back, the better in this case. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So that leads me to our, our my, my last question for you, Robbie, before we switch segments here. 
And we talk. It seems like we talk about the trade deadline every week here on the podcast. And I'm not, you know, I'm not faulting anybody for asking their questions in the mailbag segment about the trade deadline. Obviously, it's the one of the biggest days on the NHL calendar, and historically, the Penguins have been very active in the NHL's trading deadline. And it's certainly become a hot button, hot button issue with the new regime with Brian Burke and Ron Hextall in charge. And we'll see uh, what kind of action that uh, they take heading towards the trade deadline. But Robbie, my last question for you is this, and I've thought about this myself, and I don't know if I've seen this floated around on Twitter, subconsciously thought about it or whatever the case may be, but my question to you is this, would it be appropriate or do you think it's necessary or unnecessary for uh, Ron Hextall to come in here and possibly Maybe he doesn't make a move at the trade deadline. Maybe the reason being is if you get all of the guys that we mentioned, like your Brandon Tanev, Kasperi Kapanen, Evgeny Malkin, you got Jason Zucker back. If you get all of these forwards back here into this lineup, uh, and we haven't even mentioned the uh, the recent emergence of uh, Frederick Goudreau, could he be uh, another key cog in that bottom six? Could Ron Hextall stand pat at the trade deadline and hope that his team just gets as healthy and as fresh as it can be? Or, Robbie, do you think that no matter how this team is constructed, there are still holes on this team that likely should be addressed with adding more depth at the trade deadline? So I'll reiterate my point from what I said last week on the podcast, and that is if Ron Hexall is going to make a trade, which even though it's a new regime, I still have a feeling that the way the Penguins are playing, there's going to be there's going to be options out there that a trade is going to get made. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a major trade. I don't think it's going to be a top six trade. But any trade I want to see made is one that the Penguins can use next year as well. This year, everything's so up in the air. You there's just no guarantee. Not that there's any. Not that there's ever any guarantees in the NHL, but I want to see them make a trade that maybe the guy has another year on his contract that's manageable for the Penguins next year. The cap is, it's a flat cap next year. So you know what you're working with going into next year money wise. So just bring in a guy that not only helps you this year, but does give help you prop that window open for next year as well. It's not a super expensive move, whatever it is. The team still has holes, even with everybody healthy, Freddie Goudreau. I mean, you're going to have off nights. There's still, there's always room to improve the team. So if Ron Hextall and Brian Burke think there's a move out there that they think benefits the team, I'm fine with it as long as, one, it's not too expensive, and two, it's something that even helps in the next season. I couldn't agree with you more. And like you said, we had, I'm sure we talked about it uh, last week as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's another question in the mailbag this week pertaining to the trade deadline and what the plans are for the Penguins moving forward. Uh, Robbie, we will move into our mailbag segment now. And for those listening here, if you're interested in the mailbag segment, if you're a first time listener or a long time listener interested in contributing to one of the more fun segments we have on the podcast, you can do so by following along at our Pennsburg podcast, Twitter account, 
at Pensburg Pod. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Uh, we love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun questions. And we do run the gamut a little bit here in this mailbag. We have quite a few different questions, questions that I don't think I've ever seen before. So this will be a fun mailbag, I'm sure, for us, Robbie. Like last week, uh, you'll get first crack at the mailbag this week. And uh, your first question, Robbie, comes from Commander Kern. And he wants to know this. We're all Penguins fans, but what is your next favorite team? We, he says, we root for Vegas when the Pens aren't playing or out. Just something about that team is exciting, too. And in parentheses, he looks to be a, a big fan of Ryan Reeves. So, Robbie, uh, do, do, do you follow any other teams in the NHL or any other smaller minor league teams? Yeah, I mean, we just from doing this, you always have an eye on the other teams around you in the standings. Uh, a lot of focus on the East this year. The Eastern teams, obviously, just because it seems like every night the standings are flipping all over the place. But as for outright rooting for another team, I I don't know if I'll, I'd really say that. There's teams I'd want to see maybe do better than others just because they're the excitement factor, like Colorado. I was like, during the bubble playoffs last year, I was really hoping, uh, really hoping we get a avalanche Golden Knights Western Conference Final just because I just think that would have been absolutely unreal hockey. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But I, yeah, Flurry, I mean, I want to see Mark Andre Flurry do well in Vegas. Uh, Colorado is just really exciting. Uh, I like watching, Col- or not Columbus, um, Arizona, even though they're not the greatest team, the most exciting team, just because I love those throwback uniforms they have. Uh, I'm really interested to see Seattle. Um, just because it's going to be a novelty, it's going to be new. Really interested to see how they look, what those uniforms look like on the ice. So I'm very excited for that. As for uh, the, I, I love watching the great players: McDavid, Drysaddle, and Edmonton, Matthews, and Toronto. Carolina is is fun. Florida's fun. Tampa Bay's fun. Anything that's going to be exciting uh, to watch, I'm going to tune in for if I can, if I have time. So. For outright rooting for a next favorite team, I don't really think I have a next favorite team. Uh, just more or less, if you play good hockey, I'm going to be interested to watch you. Uh, that's more what I go for, and I like cheering for individual players who I think are great or I have some tie to, like a Marc-Andre Fleury or something like that. All right, so question number two comes from Cole Del Vecchio. Uh, have you checked out or will you be checking out the new Mighty Duck series and that is on Disney Plus, the streaming service, and it's it's exactly what it sounds like. I don't know if now is the right time for me to say this, Robbie, but uh, oh boy, uh, I was I was born in 1998, so I'm a relatively young Penguins fan. Uh, the last Mighty Ducks movie came out in 1996. Oh. Um, so here, here's here's a little bombshell for all of the hockey fans who are also fans of the Mighty Ducks series. Uh, I don't think I've ever sat down to watch from beginning to end any Mighty Ducks movie. So, uh, Cole, to answer your question, I probably won't be checking out the, the new Mighty Ducks series. I know I follow a lot of people on Twitter, Robbie. I'm sure you do as well. Uh, people who are probably a little bit closer in your age range than my age, age range who... Uh, grew up with the Mighty Ducks and all of the fanfare that came with that. And obviously the, the Anaheim, the Anaheim Ducks were obviously the former Mighty Ducks, all of that crazy nonsense that came 
uh, with the, the the Mighty Ducks franchise. But no, I, to answer your question, I haven't watched it. I probably won't watch it. You probably already clicked off this episode of the podcast for me uh-huh. saying that. But uh, R- Robbie, I'll hand it over to you in case you've watched. Have you watched the Mighty Ducks uh, while you were younger or while you were growing up? And have you watched the new Mighty Ducks series? I've absolutely watched the Mighty Ducks growing up. I actually have one day. This is a couple years ago. I was at a a local shopping establishment and in the they had a movie store slash music store and on sale they had a trilogy pack of the three mighty ducks movies for like 15 bucks so i picked that up i have all three i'm sure they're on there i'm sure all the movies are on disney plus because it's a disney property but yeah growing up watched them because again i was a hockey i've been a hockey fan since since the day i was born it was born into me so I watched all those. I know I, before I dive into the show, I will dive into the show before I dive into the show. I might go back and rewatch the movies just to kind of refresh because Emilio Estevez is back as Gordon Bombay as the main, as the head coach. So there is some carryover from the, uh, from the, the movies. And again, this is a T this is a setup as a series, which will release, I believe once a week or something like that. But I do plan on watching at some point just because I grew up with the Mighty Ducks. I am a little bit older than you, not to age myself that much. But I grew up with the Mighty Ducks uh, movies. Uh, I grew up when, like, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks came in to the league. They had the purple and teal jerseys. They went to the cup final in those jerseys with Korea and Solani and all those guys. So, I, yeah, I, I will watch it just because it's a – call back to my childhood is a very important part of my childhood as a hockey fan. So I will end up watching them at some point. Alrighty. Uh, now, now comes my, my redemption story. I have to try and earn back my, my hockey fan card after not admitting that I've never watched probably more than five minutes of any mighty ducks, oh, film. Wow. but yeah. nevertheless, we will carry on here. Question three for you. Robbie comes from the battle on the boards podcast. Uh, do you think Freddie Gaudreau has earned the right to the fourth line center rule over Mark Jankowski when we have a full healthy roster? If so or not, why? I think right now the answer is yes, because not only it's again, the scoring, he might not score every game, but he's not going to be expected to do that. He seems to play more of the style that the Penguins need to play. And that's a speed style. He is a gritty player. He will get his nose dirty. He will play along the boards and he just has a little bit more skill than Jankowski, not asking him to be a top line or top six player, but you need those guys to score. They need to contribute. And Jankowski, I don't think he scored since the second or third game of the year. He just isn't producing the offense that they even need him as a fourth liner to provide. And so far, Goudreau has been a spark. He has been fast. He has shown some skill. He's a penalty killer. He seems to be doing everything the Penguins ask him. And I think right now, if everybody gets healthy, if everybody was healthy tomorrow with the snap of the fingers and the Penguins had to make a decision about who gets sent to the press box, I think Freddie Goudreau right now has a spot in the lineup cemented down while Mark Janskowski's the odd man out. I just think he's shown too much skilled play over what a guy like Jankowski provides or has shown to this point in the season that you got to roll with Freddie Goudreau just because he just adds a different element to what to what you put on the ice. All right, question number four comes from Barrett. With the Penguins playing so well without key players such as Malkin, Kappen, Bluger, Tanev, should 
general manager Ron Hextall make moves now rather than later? If so, would that mess with the chemistry right now? I'd argue players like Goudreau and Zahorna are worth keeping in the lineup. Yeah, it's an interesting question uh, regarding how to go about navigating the trade deadline. Uh, I know uh, when former general manager Jim Rutherford was here, he was often um, he was often a big fan of acquiring players before the actual deadline itself to give those players uh, a couple of weeks of of trying to form that chemistry. Uh, but it, again, it comes back to what is out there. First off, we have to figure out what kind of player or players are Ron Hextall and if Brian Burke is uh, giving his input on player personnel decisions, what kind of players do they want? What kind of players are out there? What kind of players can they acquire? Uh, These are questions that we've asked countless times before, and they're questions that we're going to continue to ask ourselves until we see Ron Hextall's first trade or first couple of trades made with the Penguins. I can't tell you right now who is actively on the 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 trade bait list other than if you play for the Buffalo Sabres odds are you probably are going to want to have your bags packed like Taylor Hall and those kinds of players but uh is it is it more important to acquire players now compared to the April 12th deadline uh you know you can make an argument either or I don't know how big of a how big of a uh an influence chemistry has on forming that chemistry and you mentioned there in your question you'd argue that Gaudreau and Zahorna are worth keeping in the lineup you know for the time being yeah I'd probably agree with you Rob and Robbie to your point from the last question when talking about Gaudreau uh if he's earned the right to center the fourth line yeah yeah as things currently stand absolutely uh, it, when Bluger comes back and is healthy with uh you know uh, you probably re-implement that buzzsaw line of of Bluger, Aston Reese, and uh, Tanev, so that probably remains untouched. Uh, could you leave McCann at wing if he's not playing center? Yeah, absolutely. Could you continue to with using Goudreau at the fourth line center role? Yeah, you could do that too. So, uh, does it make sense to make these moves now rather than later? It depends on how. First off, how you want to operate. Second off, what is out there? If there's nothing out there, then there's nothing to, or or if there's not a lot of activity and teams aren't opening up yet, you, you can't do anything anyway. So for me, I'm indifferent towards it. You know, the whole chemistry aspect of it and developing chemistry, while I'm sure there's a little bit of truth and, and you know, data to back up the, the formation of chemistry with different line mates and stuff like that, uh, I, 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 that doesn't affect me one way or the other. And I'm not sh- so sure how much it affects Ron Hextall or Brian Burke. All right. Uh, question question five for you comes from Brendan. What hockey jerseys do you both own, and what non Penguins NHL jersey would you buy next? Oh boy. So just off the top of my head, because I don't have uh, have them offhand, but I know I have a Crosby in the new homes, the current homes, the homes that they were wearing back in the mid 2000s when they won the cup in 2009, those homes that they were with those black ones. I have a Crosby in the Oh, 2008 winter classic, the baby blues. I have a Crosby in the 2011 winter classic, the darker blue. I have a, I actually have an Orpic uh, Stanley cup final 2009 Jersey. I have a Malkin somewhere. I have, boy, I'm really, yeah, it's really, 
I don't think I have, I have a bunch of the shirt jerseys as well. I kind of stopped buying jerseys when I went to college because they cost a lot of money. But I'm trying to th- I'm just trying to think off the top of my head here who else I have. I have a Lemieux somewhere. There's a Flurry somewhere. I also have their youth. They don't fit anymore. But the white corporate penguin, uh, the really bland penguin logo that was just a triangle with a penguin head that they wore in the 90s. And I also have the away ones with that penguin with the gradient coloring, the black and the gradient coloring they wore, like the ones they wore when Darius Kasparitis scored uh, his overtime winner in 2001 against the Sabres. Those uniforms, those are just blank, so they don't have a name on the back. But what non-Penguins jersey would I buy next? Uh, ooh, I always toyed around with getting a flurry Vegas jersey uh, just because... Um, just because it's Flurry, and I've always liked Mark Andre Flurry. Outside of that, I would consider buying a Castle in the Coyotes Kachina uh, jersey because one Phil Castle, two those jerseys are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, other than that, I can't really think of much else other than that. Um, as of uh, other teams' jerseys, I would buy, but yeah, a lot of Crosby, a lot of just Penguins jerseys throughout the years. Uh, is really what's in my closet. I have one. I have one hockey jersey. Hey, <laughs> I, 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 you were, you were, you, you listed that entire list, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, holy crap! I, I just have one hockey. It's a Mario Lemieux. I have, I, I, and it's, I, I consider it a good. Oh, luck I charm. do have, I do have Lemieux, uh, Lemieux in the current whatever, like the current jerseys they're wearing as well. The, the, I just have, yeah, I have one Mario Lemieux from uh, for the, I guess it was called the away jersey. It had, obviously, it was the yes, the, yeah. bl- the black, the solid black with the, 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 the gold uh, gold trim rather than with, what, they, what they used to call the home whites. Um, yes. But uh, that, that is the only, I, I used to have a knockoff Marc-Andre Fleury jersey that I bought for like $30 from like some knockoff site in China. Mm-hmm. That lasted for, I don't know, about a year, year and a half before it started to fall apart. Sounds about right. But uh, yeah, the y- your boy doesn't have a whole lot of money to go spending around on $130 hockey jerseys. Well, I buy more sometime down the line, probably if there's another non-penguin jersey. Uh, I I'm kind of a I'm I'm kind of falling in love with the Seattle Kraken jerseys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see we'll see how things go on the ice, but. Uh, so far, those those Seattle Kraken jerseys are looking mighty fine. All right. So our final question for this week is: It comes from Brian. Uh, any thoughts on why the Penguins are the are one of the most injured teams year after year? Is it something in the mon? Uh, is Bo Bennett curses, or is it just plain bad luck? I will take no Bo Bennett slander on this podcast <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I no, it was I I was such a big Bo Bo Bennett fan when he made his debut, and I I had such high hopes, and now he's kind of leaned into it too. How much in, bad injury luck he's had. So, but Robbie, I don't have any of those man game stats in front of me. How many man games the Penguins have lost? And it, it seems like they, it feels like at least they lead the NHL in man games lost year after year after year. I have no. Uh, explanation for it. I just, it, they're, it's, it's a miracle when you, when you when you look back on it in 15, 20 years and you consider the fact that they won back to back championships, uh, 
it's just going to be a miracle considering it seems like they lose just about everybody at one point or another at some point throughout the, the duration of regular season. Yeah, I think it's just bad luck more than anything. And again, I think, I mean, the Penguins, they're not a young team anymore. And I mean, if you look at some of the guys that are injured, uh, you have, I mean, Malkin's not young. I mean, and Crosby's been pretty healthy this year, but he's gone down uh, in the past. I think it's just a part of, it's just, how the cookie crumbles, I guess you could say it just, it's more just a luck thing. And I don't see anything that the team's doing wrong. I don't, I don't think it's Mike Sullivan Their practices are too hard or anything like that. Cause that's all managed pretty closely by the staff and the organization. So I just think it's one of those uh, fluke things. It's not it. I mean, last year, I think, cause I wrote about it a couple of times. I think they were second man games lost last year. I don't have this year's stats in front of me, so I can't really say. But I, yeah, it's it sucks, and it's just something that every team deals with injuries to a point, and maybe a part of it is age. But I think it's more just like with Kapanen, if that shot goes two centimeters to the left or right, it maybe misses his ankle, and he's not hurt. It's just one of those things, uh, like the air. Not to bring it, but the Aaron Eckblad injury in in florida it anybody's skate could catch the ice and bend that way and the leg could snap it's just one of those things it's just wrong place wrong time kind of thing that uh, it, it was very similar to justin schultz injury a few years ago the skate just got caught uh, and he bent over on his leg it's just really a freak thing and you get nicks and bruises and it's just sometimes it seems to happen more to your team than any other team yeah, that, that, that's about as good as an explanation as I can give you as to why this team is always so but don't, injured. Don't drink anything out of the mon. No, just, just yes. for um, just speak. Don't um, just just as a tip. Don't think that just because we're not blaming it on that doesn't mean you should feel free to like watch a Pirates game on the and then take a swig out of the mon. Don't do that. I yeah, do not recommend that. I do not recommend that either. But uh, Robbie, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up and get out of here? Just hope the Penguins can get some more points in the bank uh, this weekend against Boston and get back on the horse. I know they're on the road for quite a while now, but uh, just keep collecting points and hopefully some bodies keep trickling back into the lineup. Yes, sir. Hopefully, hopefully this team gets uh, healthier, fully healthier sooner rather than later. Well, for Robbie, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.